0: We are, uh, we are talking about the life of David, a king's story. And uh, we're transitioning from David becoming a king to now David being a king. And how many know it's different when you were trying to get the position and then you got the position? Anybody ever remember playing little league baseball or in some type of organized sport back in the day? And, and maybe, I know there's like a couple of you that never sat the bench. Well, you're special. But everybody else sat the bench at some point in time, right? Amen? Everybody else sat the bench at some point in time, and you would go to practice, and you'd work hard and work hard, and, and, then, and then the coach still wouldn't give you a shot, still wouldn't give and then you'd work some more, work some more, work some more, and then all of a sudden, the coach gave you a shot. And it was different practicing to get the shot to play than all of a sudden starting it looked different than when you shut up to the ball game and they're like, they're like you're on shortstop, you're starting today. And you're, whoa, 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 whoa. That's a different type of pressure than just going, to, just going to practice. So David was living under a different type of pressure before he became king. Now we're looking at 2 Samuel chapter six. He's king. Not just king over a part of the nation of Israel, but now he's consolidated it and he's, King over all of Israel. It hadn't been easy. He he was chased down by a jealous king. We talked a couple of weeks ago about he, he suffered with a conscience. He did the right thing even in difficult circumstances. Now uh, he had to he had to fight half the country to get to the position. Saul and his son Jonathan are dead, and and he had to. It was a battle to just consolidate the kingdom, to fight the Philistines. They defeated the Philistines. And so now 2 Samuel chapter 6, here he is. He's king. And he's got a really, really good idea. It's a God-honoring idea that he wants to do. And we're going to talk about it this morning. So we're going to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6. And we're going to read, I think, verses 1 through 15. So why don't you stand in honor of the word? You can find it on the screen or in the Hope Community Church app or in the Bible app on your phone. Second Samuel second is a new word. Second Samuel chapter 6. We'll start in verse 1. Say amen if you're ready. Think those online just said Amen as well. Berkeley Springs, say Amen. All right, chapter six, verse one. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, thirty thousand. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of Hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab which was on the hill in Uzzah and Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, and driving, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. I mean, this was like a marching band. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there because of the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So, David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed Edom, the Gittai. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed Edom, the Gittai, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So, David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. Father, we thank you for your word today. Lord, we pray that once you place us in the right spot, we'd handle your things with care but help us to become more like your son lord we came together today on purpose we got up this morning on purpose and drove to this place on purpose to be with each other in your presence and in your word pray that you change us because we did that make us different in jesus name we pray and everyone said amen you may be seated This has not been an easy road to get here to this point in time. David suffered. David fought. David acted crazy at times. David did some unconventional things. But now he finds himself king of Israel. It's a totally opposite way that the first king of Israel was made king. The first king of Israel was made king when Samuel went to him, anointed him king and boom, he was king. David's got this pathway of becoming king and and it was a long and arduous and difficult and painful at times. Now he is king and he's politically consolidated the whole kingdom. He is now the king of Israel. He's also defeated the Philistines, which is a pretty cool deal. So David realizes that the ark of the covenant of God, the ark of God that houses the presence of God is not in its rightful place. It's in another guy's place. And the story about how it got there is quite interesting. It's been there for over 50 years. The Philistines had captured the ark away from Israel and they had taken it back to their place and it, uh, let's say it didn't go well for them. They took it back to their place in the in the town that it was in. It caused the presence of God caused people to have tumors pop out on the. It was it was it was crazy. And so the Philistine ruler went, "Hey, we got to get this thing out of here. This is killing people." And so they were trying to figure out what to do with the Ark of God. Now, if you go all the way back to Exodus, Leviticus, and and when, when, when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, he had them specifically gave Moses this specific command to create basically this box made out of a specific type of wood, covered in gold with these cherubim on the box, and he promised that that's where his presence would be. Like, I would that God would be with him and that box was the evidence of his presence between the cherubim is where, his, where he would be. We don't have anything to, to kind of a reference point in modern day Christianity for anything like that, but that's the way God decided to do it back then. We do have the Raiders of the Lost Ark. We do have that. Well, Harrison Ford was still trying to figure out where it was. There was explicit instructions back then to not touch the ark lest you die. So the ark, this box was built with rings on it. I mean, you've you've seen the movies, right? It had rings on it where they would stick poles through the rings and then men would lift it up, not touching it, lift it up and carry it. Okay, is everybody clear about how this thing was supposed to be handled? And God was explicit, don't touch it. No, no one can, it's, it's my presence. You can't just handle it. You can't just be careless with it and touch it and expect to be okay. So you see this happening. uh, You see when, when over the course of time coming up to this place, when it was neglected and handled poorly or, or an enemy would capture it, it would be a bad deal. So now David, who's con- politically consolidated the whole nation and now he's king, now decides, hey, this is a good thing. We're gonna go get the Ark of the Covenant. Now, for over 50 years, it has not been in its rightful place. And, and it, it could be one of two reasons. Maybe I think it's both of those reasons. Number one, the Philistines could have been kind of saying, it's there and we don't want you to move it. And so militarily, there could have been some difficulty. But I think another reason and probably the more legitimate reason was the former King Saul didn't care about it. Because if he had seen the ark as a representation of God's presence and cared enough about it, I think he would have gathered the military together and said, let's go get it. It's important, we're bringing it back. So for over 50 years, it's been, it's been in a man's house. So David decides, hey, we're gonna go get it, 30,000 men. We're rolling up in here deep, and we're gonna get this thing. So he goes uh, to the man's house, and um, they can bring it back. Now, Second Samuel chapter six describes how David, um, how David decides to transport. This, arc, this box, this ark with the cherubim on it that represents God's, God's presence is there. It says he's got a new cart and uh, with some oxen. They didn't have four-wheel drive carts back then. was in West Virginia. They had some oxen and a new cart and they were gonna pull the cart with the ark on it back, uh, back with them. Okay. That sounds great, doesn't it? I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna move something that important, you should get a you should get a new cart. You don't want an old busted up cart. You don't want to use you don't want a Facebook Marketplace cart. You want a new cart. That sounds reasonable. You want a new cart, and then these two these two sons that would will come out and follow along with it, and you know make sure it was okay, and then they just started partying the whole way back. They had the marching band going. They had the whole thing. It was exciting. Yeah, we're bringing this thing back. This is unbelievable. Finally, and you can feel the pride rolling up in David. We beat the Philistines. We've done it. I've consolidated the nation. Now we're bringing the presence of God back. Get out of my way. Hmm. Only... Only the roads back then were a little bit like West Virginia roads. And it says one of the oxen stumbled and evidently there must've been a pothole. There must've been something going on on the road. The oxen stumbles, the cart shifts and a guy named Uzzah. Just I think reflexively Come on, if you were walking behind the cart and the thing started to tip, wouldn't you just go out like... He touches it. And it says the anger of the Lord burned against him and he died. Now, I don't know about you, but when you're partying and somebody dies, the party's over. (laughs) Nobody's staying after that. Everyone's leaving. David... We're just bringing God's presence back, and uh, now Uzzah's dead. David gets angry with God. Then fear. Then, 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 just, then they just decide we're going to leave it at Obed-Edom's house, man. We're not. We're not taking this thing one step. Leave it right here. I think sometimes this success can be a little more, a little more dangerous uh, than struggle. Because here's why. When David was being chased, we talked about this. When David was being chased, he was praying a lot. When do you pray the most? When do you pray the most? You, I, I would venture to say you pray the most uh, when it's difficult, right? Anybody else? When you're sick, you start praying when you're sick, don't you? This is typical what it looks like. Leaning over the toilet. Oh, God. Everybody prays when you're sick. When you're in a difficult circumstance in your job, in your career, you're praying. You're like, God, I need help, man. I don't think I can go in that office one more time. I don't think I can deal with those people anymore. I don't think I can handle it. When when you're having trouble with your kids, you pray. Yeah? Deliver me, Lord. When, When you're a teenager and you're having trouble with your friends at school, and you don't know why. You're trying really hard, and you don't know what else to do. You say, God, I don't understand. But then there becomes a shift a little bit. I, I see it in my own life. And you become a little bit successful. Now we don't have to pray anymore. It's working. Anybody else experience that? It's like, oh, wait, all the prayer worked. So now I don't have to pray. All the Bible reading works, so now I don't have to read. I'm here. I'm here now. It's fun. Look at this. We've consolidated the kingdom. I'm the king now. It's amazing. I'm not being chased out anymore. I'm the king. I've got 30,000 guys rolling with me now. I don't have 400 men in a cave. I've got an army. So the thing that I found out over the years is sometimes it's not in struggle that we become neglectful. Sometimes it's in success. Sometimes when everything is going well, when I'm not sick, when I've got plenty of money, when my wife likes what I'm doing, that was a stretch. When, when um she's not in here. When uh, When the things are going well with the kids and when things are going well with business and when things are going well, Then all of a sudden, I can get a bit neglectful. Anybody else? Because after all, you don't want to do anything to screw it up. You don't want to start praying for faith. Yeah. Anybody else? You're like, this is going really well, Lord. Don't change anything. You don't need to teach me any lessons right now. You don't need to walk me through a valley of a shadow of death. I get it. I get it. I read about it when I was walking through it. I don't need any more of that. And I don't want to be a better Christian. I just want to stay right here where I'm at. Because everything is going really, really well. People like me now. Don't mess this up. God, just leave it alone. Anybody ever pray, God, leave it alone? It's good. And that's when we become sloppy. That's when we start to neglect things. Isn't it funny how in relationships, as quick as they can become good, we start neglecting them only to have them turn sour. And we repeat the cycle over and over. What happened? We were enjoying life. And then I started ignoring you. (laughs) David, um, David's got some good intentions here. Don't misunderstand that. This was not a political move to bring the Ark of the Covenant uh, to its rightful places. It It wasn't anything political about it. David was a man after God's own heart. When Samuel came to anoint the next king of Israel, God specifically told him, Samuel, here's the problem. All of you look on the outward appearance, but I don't look at stuff like that. I look at the heart. And all of these older brothers don't have it. So find Want, find, figure out if Jesse's got another kid somewhere. And, and he did, brought David out. God said, that's the one, his heart's good. This wasn't a political move for David. This was a heart thing. I want to bring the presence of God back to its rightful place. I wanted to showcase it to the nation of Israel. We are God's people. Why shouldn't his presence be with us? It was a good, he, he had good motivations, but he became sloppy. He became neglectful of the things of God. I'm here now, I'm king, this is all great. We're gonna throw a big party. But the party doesn't matter if we do it wrong. So David says, let's go get it. They get a new cart, hook it up to some oxen, roll out there. They throw the cart. They must've put the poles in there. They must not have touched it. But the put it on the cart. They start walking down the road, playing the drums, playing the guitar, enjoying it, partying, and then the thing shakes. The cart gets ready to tip and an innocent man named Uzza reaches out and grabs it and he's dead. The irony is In 1 Samuel chapter six, the Philistines had the Ark of the Covenant and it was causing them problems like I was telling you earlier. It caused a ton of people to have tumors pop out of. and the the rulers of the Philistines are going, we don't know what to do with this thing. We got to get it out of here. So in 1 Samuel chapter six, they they devise a plan. They devise a plan to, to take the Ark of the Covenant. They don't know what to do with it. To get it back to Israel. And they say, Now then, take and prepare a new cart. Did you read that the same as I did? That sounds oddly familiar, doesn't it? Now then, take and prepare a new cart and two milk cows, on which there has never come a yoke, and the yoke cows... And yoke the cows to the cart, but take their calves home away from them and take the ark of the Lord and place them in the cart and the box beside the figures of gold which are returning to him as a guilt offering and send it off and let it go its way. And watch, if it goes up the way to its own land to Beth Shemesh, then it is he who has done this great harm. Talking about God. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that struck us. So they're saying all these tumors and sickness that came on us, if we hook these milk cows who've never been hooked to a a yoke before, by the way, they're milk cows who've never been yoked. They probably got calves somewhere. They they said they locked them up. So they're saying if these milk cows that we strapped to this cart keep walking away from their calves, then we'll know this was God. If not, we ate some bad whatever. Whatever. they strap them up. They put the Ark of of the Covenant on a new cart. Now, if I'm of the Philistines, I'm going, I don't want this thing breaking down between here and there. We're going to put this thing on a new cart. We're going to hook the cows to it and send them loose. And the result was the cows just took off. That was actually pretty good, wasn't it? And they just keep walking. And then the Philistines go, oh, this was God. We are not the rightful owners of this thing and, and we were mishandling it. And we got sick because of that. You following me? Now we get to second Samuel chapter six. David's moving the cart, ironically, the same way that the Philistines move it. David doesn't pay attention Now that he becomes king, he's handling the things of God the way the enemy of Israel would handle the things of God. (laughs) You know the danger the church has right now is the danger of the church right now is that we handle the things of God the same way the world handles the things of God. That's the danger. Because here's why. Here's why. Because, especially for America, especially for where we live today, because we, we have arrived. Now, now I know, I know there's an 87-inch TV that you've been eyeing, and if God will bless you just a little bit more, you'd get three of them. I know that you don't feel rich as you should be. But trust me when I tell you, you are filthy rich. You're the 1% of the 1%. Filthy rich and I know there's always stuff in front of us that we want. Trust me, I got a I got an Amazon wish list. I just made one the other day. Hey, it's Christmas time. Maybe she'll look. I got an Amazon wish list like everybody else. The issue is this. We have arrived. We've, the gospel is plentiful here. We can meet together like this. We can get together. We can do, we can do whatever we want. We can, we can have outreaches. We can do missions trips. There's nothing holding us back. We have arrived. But the problem with that is we can begin to neglect the things of God and the way He instructed us to handle them. Amen. So what you see the American church doing is lowering our standards. Because after all, is that really wrong? Or is it just wrong? Because because we don't know what's right or wrong anymore because we don't read the Bible. Give it a second to make sure you're not gonna throw anything at me. Um, The issue is God gave us his word, the divinely inspired word of God. And he said, this is this is it. This is this is my instructions. But this is this is who I am. This is my expectation. This is how life is going to work. This is this is how I want you to handle our relationship. This is this is what it looks like. This is what it used to look like. This is now Jesus, and this is what it looks like going forward. These are my promises to you. He's he's given us all the resources we need. He's it's been unbelievable. And yet, because of our success, we pray when we need something. We read when we need something. We, when it gets bad, we'll kind of snuggle up to them every now and then. But when it's good, when it's good, and so all of a sudden, what happens? The church doesn't stand up and say, this is right and this is wrong. The church says, oh, well, you know, we have grace for everybody. I need you to follow me through this line of logical thinking. By definition, grace is something you need when you mess it up. Is that true? You're like, I'm going to give you grace. For what? I'm right. Do you ever think about that? I did it right. I don't need grace. Grace, you only need grace when you mess it up. So in order for you to mess it up, there has to be a right way to do it and a... Wrong way to do it. So, when the church says we have grace for people, we are actually saying there's a right and a wrong. But that's not the definition of grace. Now, the definition of grace now, because we became sloppy with the things of God, the definition of grace now is whatever you perceive is right. We're going to give you. We're going to be gracious towards you anyway. We receive grace from God when we sin. In order to know when we sin, there has to be an absolute definition of right and wrong. Amen? I don't recommend this, but think about if you've got a four-year-old running around the house and you say, we're going to do an experiment for the next 16 years. We're just going to give them grace (laughs) for everything. No, no, no. You did that wrong. I have grace now for you. I'm still going to love you. You're still part of the family. And we're going to let you live here another year till you're six. And then we'll try it out again. And we may have grace for you again. See, I mean, it, See how it works. But But the church started mishandling the things of God because it was uncomfortable to say something was wrong come on you're not going to leave me up here are you it was uncomfortable now because the culture changes so much the culture now doesn't believe in a right and wrong it's whatever you whatever you feel like in you that you need to do you just do that and everybody'll have grace for you no 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 there is no grace if everything's right there's no need for grace The only reason grace comes into our lives was because of the holy God that says that is wrong and this is right. And when you get it wrong, I'll give you grace. So here's the issue. In the Old Testament, it didn't work that way. In the Old Testament, when God said this was wrong, you died. Oh, would the church look different now? We'd have 10 people in this place and one of them wouldn't be me. God was explicit about the way to handle the ark. You go back to when he told him how to build it. And he said, "Don't, don't touch it lest you die. Here's the way you carry it. Here's the way you handle it. Here's what you do with it all the time. Because I need you to understand, this is me you're dealing with. This is the presence of God you're dealing with. And you cannot be sloppy with me. You cannot neglect me and still be my people. You cannot be in relationship with me and get this wrong. That was the Old Testament. It was very clear to the Israelites what this should look like. So what happens to David? He he becomes king. He says, yeah, let's bring it back. And then he neglects it. And the imagery here is unbelievable. David chooses the exact same thing the enemy chose to handle the presence of God. Wow. So listen, when the church starts defining grace the same way the world defines grace, that's a problem. Grace is not an absolute uh, blank slate to believe whatever you want to believe, to do whatever you want to do. That is not grace. Grace is given out by God himself that when we defile the things of God, that when we go against the things of God, that when we, oh, should I say it, sin, he doesn't kill us. Most of us have sinned in here maybe this morning. And you have yet to receive the punishment for it. There's things I did in high school that still nobody knows about. And God has not punished me for them. Thank you. That's grace. It's not because it's not wrong anymore. It's because he was gracious. We gotta get this right, church. We can't, we can't keep redefining this thing, in order to be accepted by the culture. God said, this is the way we do it. This is the way it looks. This is what I require. The church doesn't get to redefine that because we live in 2022. We don't get to neglect that and still have the blessing of God in our lives. So David gets sloppy and and a man dies because of it. Can I just say this? Us being sloppy with the things of God never only impact us, never, never only impact us. David let that guy walk behind that cart instead of doing it the right way. And that man and his family suffered. There's, a, there's kind of a crazy thing that happened here that I think happens to all of us. David's first response is to be angry. That's why I like David. His first response was to be angry with God. I think, in, uh, I think it says, and he was angry with the Lord. Now, follow me. This is the way I, this is the way I think about these things. This is the way I do it. I think God was very explicit in his instructions about how to handle the ark. David had good intentions, went up there, mishandled the things of God, got a guy killed, and now it's God's fault. Is that familiar with anybody else here? Is that familiar with anybody else? God God blesses you. And then you get a little neglectful and you, and you get a little lazy and you get a little like, man, we're here now, it's awesome. And, and I don't have to work as hard and I don't, have to, I don't have to pray as much. I don't have to read the Bible. I don't have to do all that stuff. I don't have to know what's right and what's wrong anymore because after all, I'm pretty successful so I just know it. Then something happens. More than likely when it happens, what I realized was, no, let me, let me back up. When it happens, I get angry. Anybody else? Just like David. Uzzah falls dead and David's like, how could you let this happen? When in reality, he should have been asking, how could I let this happen? But that's not the way we typically work, is it? The way we typically work, the way I work, is that everything's going smooth, and then God screws it up? Because after all, how? I mean, I was, I had the right, I was, I was doing the right thing. I rarely ever look at myself first. Anybody? Anybody here? Oh, I blame myself first every time. No, I don't blame anybody else. Look at your neighbor and see what they think about you. Yeah. It's a cycle we, re- we repeat over and over and over again. And I know it because when I sit down and talk to people, people will say, I don't know why God did this. I'm starting to find out the older I get and the, if I, any success I have, the more responsibility comes with that. And the quicker that I say, Lord, I probably had at least a little bit to do with this the quicker the grace comes, the quicker it comes. Because after all, remember, God's not the one that changed here. God is just doing what he told him he would do at the beginning. God's saying, this is the way I told you to handle the ark. And if you'd have handled the ark that way, we'd have been good to go. But you got neglectful, and I'm God, and so I can't just decide one day to enforce it and one day not to enforce it. God is not a modern-day parent. Some of you understand what I'm talking about there. God said, this is the way I said do it. I'm bound to the way I said do it. And so I'm not neglecting my part of it. You did. So now, does it even make sense for you to be angry at me? And when we think about it in that context, our anger towards the Lord doesn't make any sense whatsoever. He hasn't changed. So all of a sudden I have to ask myself, Lord, I'm pretty sure I might have neglected something. But I'm I'm glad David is a man after God's own heart because as soon as he becomes angry, he becomes fearful. (laughs) Anybody had anger turn into fear immediately? I told first service, my parents are probably watching so they'll get a kick out of this. Told first service, I remember being 14 years old doing this. I don't even remember what I did. Uh, And and I got a spanking at 14. I still think that was a little old. (laughs) But that's another issue that I'll deal with the counselor. (laughs) But I thought it was unjust at that time, right? And so I was going to man up. So I took my lickings and I got up and I didn't cry. I was just, you know, walked out in the living room, slammed myself down the recliner. It was not my recliner. I was 14. I didn't own a recliner at that time. So I slammed myself down the recliner. I mean, I'm mad. I'm ready to fight. You know what I'm, you know? Anybody remember that, that little age as a man where you were like, I can do this? There was only, there was one issue. My dad was like 6'1", 230. And I was... Five, five, a hundred pounds. I weighed 165 pounds when I graduated from high school. I'm 14 at this time. Not really combat ready, you know what I'm saying? So um, I slammed myself down the chair. And I, uh, whip me again. And then I sensed it. Now my dad's standing over me. And I'm not angry anymore. The fear of the Lord has overtaken my whole being. And I remember him looking at me going, if you don't like that, we can do it like a man. And I went, I'm good, I'm good. Can I tell you something? If, fear, if anger does not turn into fear, you need to check yourself. God is not a God who wants you to be fearful of him, like fearful to interact with him. But there is a reverence toward God that should keep us from being permanently angry. There is a reverence towards God that should keep us from being angry to a point that it doesn't switch to fear at some point in time. Because the Proverbs tell us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now I can tell you that day in my house I was either going to get wisdom one or two ways. I was going to get, wisdom was going to come to me by the, by the hand of God or by the hand of my father. One or two ways. If I didn't start fearing, wisdom was coming. I chose to get it the easy way. Fear the Lord and fear your father. And everything will be okay. So David, in a moment, it seems like, He's angry. How could you let this happen? But then his heart towards God checks him, and he goes, wait a second. Wait a second. I I don't even know what I'm doing now. I can't. i got to push pause on this. I can't just be mad at God. And How can I even bring his presence to me now? I don't know what's going on. I need to take a break. I need to back up from this. I need to step back and pause this thing because this is not a good reaction. And I'm telling you, if I'm correct in a couple things... If half of you would just back up for a second out of your circumstance and go, wait a second, God. That was my initial reaction. But all of a sudden, I'm realizing that was way, way overdone. And I'm not angry. And I'm just, I need to figure this out. I need your help. God's gracious. So David backs up. Can I just give you a little help today? If you're mad at God, just give it up. God understands what you're thinking. He's gracious like that, but it's not gonna get you anywhere. Anger does not promote goodness in your life. Anger does not promote success. Anger. Anger doesn't do any of that, but a reverence for God does. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The band's going to come up. I'm going to end with this. All of us have been sloppy and neglectful at one time or another. And I'm glad this story doesn't end with Uzzah dying. Because all of us have been sloppy and neglectful to the point where it's probably affected other people around us. If you've got a family, then you know at some point in time your actions have affected the people around you that you love. None of us get out of that. And this isn't a sermon that you have to be perfect all the time. There's grace for that. But it's a a sermon for an awareness that that there's, there's a responsibility to lean into the things of God, to not be sloppy with them, All of us in here, if we're honest with ourselves, know what it feels like. Some of us have walked away because of it. Screwed it up, messed it all up. I don't need this anymore. And maybe you got coaxed into coming this morning. David does one thing that I'm excited about after this. See, the Ark of the Covenant gets put in a guy's house named Obed-Edom. They just stop right there. Uzzah dies. They just stop right there like, man, I can't... Well, I don't know what to do. I'm mad. I'm fearful. I just, we're just leave it here. We're going to take a pause. Three months it stays in the house of Obed-Edom. And the Bible doesn't say anybody touches it in his house either. I'm sure he's looking at his kids though. don't you dare touch that thing. You can touch the stove, but don't touch that. So... um Word comes to David and says, hey, Obed-Edom is being blessed beyond anything you can imagine. The presence of God is in that dude's house, and he is being blessed like it's through the neighborhood. Like Amazon's dropping off boxes every day at this guy's house. You know what I'm saying? That's how you know your neighbors. are like, oh, they got another delivery today. That was a big box. Yeah. David does not get jealous of, David doesn't go, he doesn't deserve that. I was made king. No, he says, I'm not gonna give up on it. I'm gonna go back, put it in its rightful place. And what you see is you see David going up to Obed-Edom's house, doing it the right way. It says men carried it on their shoulders from that point out. They must have went back and figured out the way God wanted it to happen. And so they pick it up, and this is the amazing thing. They take six steps, and David's like, freeze, we're gonna do a sacrifice right here to make sure everything's good. Can you imagine that? They get it up on their shoulders, they walk out the front door, one, two, three, four, five, six, That's as far as I get. David's like, make a sacrifice. We're not screwing this thing up. If it takes us four years to get this thing back, we're going to sacrifice to the Lord. We're going to make sure we do this right. I'm not neglecting any part of this. He even doesn't wear his kingly robe. He says he wears a linen ephod like a priest. He is going to do everything the way God said do it originally. He said, I am in this the right way, the right reason for the right time, and I'm not giving up on the presence of God. So here's what I want to tell you today just like there was that three-month grace period for David. God's got that same grace today to give to you. you. You may think, man, I've screwed this thing up so bad. I neglected the things of God. I didn't pay attention. I tried to do it my own way. But the grace period for God is, for you, is still here. All you have to do this morning is stand up and go, God, I'm going back to get it. And this time, I'm going to do it the right way. I'm going to do it the way you want me to do it. I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to listen to you. I'm not going to blame you anymore. I'm going to go back. And I want your presence enough to go back and do it a different way. Because you know what you got to admit when you do that? David had to admit that the first time he did it wasn't right. So he goes back and gets it. And it's a celebration all the way back. And at the end of the day... The things of God were where they were supposed to be. And I'm telling you that right now, there's people in your life waiting on you to bring those things of God back to where they're supposed to be. To the rightful place in your family, the rightful place in your workplace, the rightful place in your life. And, and everybody around you then benefits from it. Amen. Come on, stand to your feet. I'm to pray with you that way. Come on, if you're watching online and you you've neglected things like that, for a long time, there's a grace period that God's given you to hear this message. To know that he's calling you, he's saying, come back and get it. Come back and get that grace. Come back and get that. The presence of God. Do it the right way. It's a time to confess our sins. Confess that we were wrong. It's a time to walk back to the thing that God has for us and do it the right way. God, we pray like that today. God, we ask you. We're tired of ignoring it. We're tired of running away from it. We're tired of acting like it was the last chance. Lord, you've given us grace to come back and do it again. And so I pray on everyone within the sound of my voice would not take for granted your presence anymore. Lord, but would would take hold of that that you've given them, Lord, that you made available to us. You, your Holy Spirit in us. And Lord, that we, we treasure it from here on out. Lord, we're tired of being sloppy with your gospel. Lord, we pray that we, we cherish and prize it in our lives and in our families. And it's in your name we pray. Come on, church, can you lift your voice this morning? Can you give him praise and honor? We need him more than anything else. We need to lift him up this morning. We need to go after what he has for us.